Well, uh, this week is the first Sunday of Lent. Uh, what is Lent actually? Uh, Lent recalls the events uh, leading up to and including uh, Jesus' crucifixion. You know, in the, it is the 40 days between Ash Wednesday and also Easter. and represents the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness where he fasted and was tempted by the devil. You know, at the end of Jesus' 40 days, this was when he started his public ministry. Now, what does this mean for all of us? Well, this is, a, this is a time for us to set aside a time for reflection, repentance, and also spiritual growth. You know, it is, it is a time when our routines and lives should be interrupted so that we can step away from what is comfortable and look towards repentance. You know, this is the reason why we set out to fast as a church uh, this past week and also uh, the weeks leading up to Easter. You know, we are fasting as a church every Wednesday from now until Easter. Because it is a time that we should give up something, something that is difficult for us to give up, but will make us better for having made the sacrifice. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. So this morning, as we listen to the Word of God, I want us to just focus on Christ. You know, for the next 40 days, what we're going to do is just focus on Christ and His life. Amen? Amen? Today, we'll be looking at the temptation and the victory of Christ in Matthew chapter 4. You know, it will be the main core of the message we will focus on today. But before we look at the temptation and the victory, it is important that we also look at His baptism. Now, why is that so? You see, if you read the three or the four Gospels, you will see that they are presented together. And it is for a very important reason. You know, these two events happening back to back prepared and launched Jesus to the single most world-changing career in history. But let's look at the baptism of Jesus first, shall we? You know, Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 to 14 tells us, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. You know, this is a very fascinating encounter. Jesus and John were having this debate about who should be baptizing who. You know, Jesus wanted John to baptize him. But John said it should be the other way around instead. To John, it made no sense for him to be baptizing Jesus. You know, theoretically, you know, logically, or even hierarchically, you know, payfen, uh, all right? The teacher ought to be the one baptizing the student, the Lord baptizing the follower, and the Savior baptizing the saved. It just didn't make sense. But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. You know, such is an example and lesson Christ has shown us of His obedience. You know, who He obeyed and followed uh, unreservedly the commands, the plans, and the purposes of God. You know, we see this again later in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus was about to be crucified, He was in agony over the ordeal which, was about to go, which He was about to go through. You know, it was something that He didn't have to go through if He didn't want to. You know, He had the power and the authority to spare Himself or skip the entire process entirely. Yet, He obeyed and submitted to the will of God saying, Father, not my will, but yours be done. 
You know, this is very different and counterintuitive to our human nature and also our modern culture. You know, having things our way and having our rights is very important to us. When we are called to do something, when something is expected of us, or when we are asked to do something for someone, we count the cost first. You know, we analyze the cost benefits before we do something. We ask questions like, what do I gain from this? Is this going to affect my current way of life in any way? You know, we bring this into our relationship with God. We forget what Jesus did on the cross for us, the suffering He endured, the sacrifice He made. All this He did for us with no conditions. In fact, when we first received this, uh, this uh, amazing and unmerited grace of God, we gave our life to Him with no conditions. But over time, we slowly began to set conditions in our hearts. You know, our relationship with God becomes a little bit more transactional. We start to serve and to worship Him, expecting benefits. You know, we give expecting an equal, if not greater reward. We expect God to bless us, to help us to achieve success in our life, in our career, help us to make a lot of money when we serve Him. And when it doesn't happen, we outrightly reject Him. Even when we don't outrightly reject Him, inside our hearts, our devotion and our commitment to Him shifts. We start to hold back. We don't give Him all our all anymore. You know, we measure, we weigh, we analyze every act of service and worship. Is this worth doing? Is this worth my time, my effort, and my sacrifice? We begin to trade with God who is our Savior. But we see that Jesus obeyed the Father unconditionally. You know, He didn't see first whether it was worth the cost. There was a calling and a purpose that He was called to fulfill. He was in fact also God. Yet He was called to become a man to save mankind. He was to be baptized by men, suffer pain from men, persecuted, falsely accused, betrayed, and die a painful and agonizing death for the sins of men by the hands of men. This was His purpose and calling, and He obeyed knowing the cost. You know, when God calls us to do something, it will be the perfect calling and purpose for our lives. But it will also be a tough, and it will also be tough, and there will be many tests along the way. You know, with God, there is always a process before the success. You know, the process is often painful. There'll be obstacles, there'll be delays, there'll be disappointments and setbacks that will affect us emotionally, mentally, and sometimes even physically. You know, right after Jesus was baptized, verse 16 says, As Jesus came out of the water, the heavens were open, and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on Him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. You know, nothing was more powerfully assuring, more triumphant, more loved, more accepted than to receive those words from God the Father when He said, You are my dearly beloved Son who brings me great joy. You know, Jesus was anointed and appointed both at once. He was at the peak of His life at that point. But what happens next? It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. You know, notice the word then. You know, some other Bible, Bible versions use the word immediately or right after. But whatever word is used, it is important to recognize how the baptism and the temptation are connected tightly by this word. You know, it goes on, it goes on to say, 
for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. You know, during that time, the devil came to him and said, came to him and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. But Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you if you only kneel down and worship me. But Jesus said, get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then he says, the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. And then he says, the ministry of Jesus begins. Right after all of this. Now, why is that word then? Or immediately? Or right after? So important. You know, it is the Lord showing us that after great blessings usually come trial and temptation. You know, no one is exempted from this. In fact, this is often what happens to people God loves very much. For it is part of God's often mysterious and good plan for turning us into something great. You know, how many of us have found that life after knowing Christ has not been easy? You know, when we first received Christ, there was what you call the honeymoon phase, where you felt so close to God, so loved, so assured, so, you know, so affirmed. You know, everything goes your way. Every prayer gets answered. It feels like you're on cloud nine. You know, you literally experience what it means to be highly favoured and greatly blessed. You know, you get everything you want. You reach the pinnacle of your profession. You receive favour and grace in all that you do. Your career is booming. Your influence is soaring. You're on the way to the top. Financially, you couldn't be better off. You are living the dream. You are at a peak. But not too long after that, the den came. And you were led into the wilderness to be tested of your faith. You know, things start to get difficult for you. God somehow became silent. The blessings begin to dry up. The prayers go unanswered. You start to have problems and challenges in your life. Your relationships get into problems. You study hard and work hard, but somehow you still fail. You get fired from your job. You get overlooked for a promotion. Your business goes bankrupt. Market forces and competition cause your business to run out of momentum. As a result, your finances are greatly affected and you have to sell your house and your car. And just when you are about to sell your car, you get into an accident and you can't sell it. Well, you think things couldn't get worse. You have health issues and you need to be hospitalized. Friends, you enter the wilderness. You know, Jesus was brought into the wilderness and tested right after the highest and the greatest event and moment of his life. He was loved. He was affirmed and empowered by God. Then he was ushered into the clutches of the enemy. 
But this was necessary in order for him to be launched into his ministry and also his calling. You know, we will often be tested right after we have our greatest victory. Right after we are at a peak, we will also see that our greatest test will be exactly in the area that we are called. You know, somehow we will face the most difficulty, the most resistance, the most obstacles and challenges in what we are called to do. We will come to realize how weak and flawed we are. We will come to stages and places where we doubt if we will ever be qualified and called to do those things. You know, we will be discouraged and despondent and driven to the point of giving up altogether. But these tests are necessary to bring out the weaknesses in us so that we will be truly strong. You know, we will be refined like gold so that our impurities are removed and shifted like wheat so that God can separate what is useful from what is not. You know, we will be brought to the point where we come to depend on God and not, our own, not on our own strengths. You know, Jesus was called to be a leader, a prophet, and a Messiah. You know, this meant that it was important that people listened to Him, they believed Him, and also followed Him. But this would also mean that this was going to be His weaknesses. Um, and uh, this would also mean that His weaknesses would be the desire to be relevant, to be spectacular, and also to be powerful. And this needed to be tested and shifted out before his ministry began. You know, Henry Nouwen, the renowned Catholic author, wrote a fascinating commentary on the three temptations of Christ. And this is what he said. He said, when Jesus faced the first temptation to turn the stones into bread, you know, it was the temptation to be relevant. You know, as a leader, he would want people to see to know and to accept Him. He would desire more than anything that He could make a difference in their life. To be able to heal their sicknesses, to feed their hunger, and to, to uh, alleviate the suffering of others. But when He was asked to prove His power as a Son of God by turning stones into bread, He clung to His mission to proclaim the Word and said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know, the second temptation Jesus faced was to jump off the cliff and see if God would order His angels to protect Him. This was a temptation to be spectacular. Why? Because as a prophet, He would like to be applauded, applauded and also celebrated. But Jesus refused. He said to the enemy, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You know, He did not want to prove Himself by doing the spectacular to show that He had something worthwhile to say. What about the third temptation? You know, the third temptation Jesus faced was to be given all the kingdoms of the world if He would just kneel down and worship the devil. You know, this was the temptation of power. You know, as a Messiah, this would be quite irresistible. You know, the enemy already knew that Jesus had the power to do the miraculous, the spectacular, and also the powerful. What other thing then might Jesus be tempted to use His power for? You know, church, Maybe it was to use His power to substitute the hard tasks and the hard work of love. You know, it seems easier to be God than to love God. Easier to control people than to love people. Easier to own life than to love life. You know, the work of loving, leading, and building is hard work. You know, ministry is hard. It requires that we sacrifice our time, our energy, our emotional uh, and mental resources to lead and love someone. You know, Jesus did the same and was misunderstood 
attacked and also betrayed. You know, those we love and lead might not always love us back. They might not always be thankful. You know, those things we build not always have the results that we want. You know, therefore, we'll, we're all tempted in one way or the other to have the power of control and the power to skip the slow process of building, of developing, and also nurturing. And so perhaps, at the core of all these three temptations is the power to skip through the hard task of obedience and the difficult task and process of refining. You know, the need for a quick fix to our difficulties, an immediate solution, a quick escape. You know, God the Father thought it necessary for Jesus to be tested. And thus, we will be tested whether we like it or not. You know, but you ask, what if I live my life righteously and wisely? Can I or will I be exempted from all of this, you ask? The answer is, no, we won't. Because Jesus lived a life perfectly pleasing to God. And there was also another man, Job, by the name of Job, who lived a completely blameless life. Yet God tested them both. So if we aim to have a life free of problems and obstacles, well, it won't happen. Why? Because it is not God's way. You know, when God calls someone to follow Him, He sends them through the wilderness. You know, God gave Moses a vision to lead Israel out of slavery, only to exile him into the wilderness to hurt sheep. It was only after a long, silent 40 years before God finally appeared to him in a burning bush with a command to go. You know, God anointed David as future king and then sent him straight to the wilderness to tend sheep also. You know, he didn't go straight to the palace to be king. You know, he wasn't chosen as People's Magazine's sexiest royal alive. You know, Jesus called Paul to be his, to be his apostle on the road to Damascus only to let him wander in the wilderness for three years and also to suffer obscurity for another 14 years. There was a total of 17 years before he, fi he finally was officially appointed as an apostle. What about Mary? You know, after Mary became pregnant with the Messiah, God waited for several months before telling Joseph, her fiancé, that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit and not because she cheated on him with another man. Now, why did God wait and allow Mary to go through the humiliation? Now, why does God sometimes leave us feeling alone, deserted, humiliated, and abandoned in darkness, like He doesn't care? Well, it's because He wants to sanctify and purify us by humbling us. He works His salvation out in us by taking us through the valley of the cross. You know, Martin Luther wrote this about God's test in our lives. He says this, you know, whom he would save, he must first make him despair. Whom he would make wise, he must first turn him into a fool. Whom he would make alive, he must first kill. Whom he would bring to honour, he must first bring to dishonour. He is a strange king who is nearest when he is apparently far. This is why God didn't tell Joseph his plans for Mary at first. Why he let Moses and Paul and David endure the wilderness and obscurity after appointing and anointing them so that they learn to walk by faith and to purify their hearts. You know, the test that we go through make us, makes us ask ourselves, 
Why do we want to be close to God? Is it because of what He gives us? Or is it because we really want Him? What is more valuable to us? God or His blessings? You know, sometimes God withholds everything from us in order to make us us ourselves. Are His promises enough for me? How then, church, do we face and overcome the test that God lets us go through? How do we stay obedient and faithful through the process? You know, Jesus was victorious in facing and overcoming the enemy. How can we also then be victorious and come out stronger and better on the other side? Firstly, we must focus on God always. You know, church, know who you are and what you are in Christ. You know, always remember that we've got to root our identity in Christ. Make Him the source of your self-worth and also significance. Let Christ be the source of your joy. Let Him be the source of your joy, your peace, and also your security. And not on the level of your success or your present condition. You know, you have to do that because in times of testing, the first thing you lose is your joy and peace. You know, when you go through setbacks and also failures, oftentimes you suffer shame and also humiliation. You lose your sense of security, your self-worth, and also your identity. You know, you will also feel lonely. You know, people might not understand what you are going through. Even when they want to help, there are limitations to what they can do to ease your troubles. And so what do you do when you feel alone? Simply, you walk by faith, not by sight. You know, we must re-believe and relive the truth that nothing can separate us from the love of God, regardless of how we feel. You know, we've got to remember that what we feel is not usually a good indicator of what really is. You know, in hard times, we often feel like we are not close to God. But the feeling is not telling us the truth. You know, faith is built upon fact. And therefore, our feelings must arise from faith. We cannot allow feelings to de determine faith and fact for us. How then do we keep our focus on God and walk in faith? We read the Word of God. You know, it is where God speaks to us. Read it more when we are being tested. Read it when we are at our lowest point. Because it is exactly in those times where the enemy will try to steal God's promises and assurances from us and cause us to revert to our feeling that God has abandoned us. You know, the enemy will try to break that trust and that faith relationship we have with God. He will give us negative thoughts, fill us with doubts, give us ideas that contradict what the Word of God says. It will steal away our hope and trust in God. You know, remember that God's Word will tell us what reality is not our emotions. You know, our emotions don't have minds, you know. Remember that. Our emotions don't have minds. They don't think for themselves. We have to think for them, telling them what is real. Therefore, we need to have the Word of God constantly rehearsed in our mind and our spirit. You know, Jesus did it, and so must we. You know, when Jesus was tempted, all three times, all three times, He countered and fought the enemy by using the Word of God as His weapon to fight back. Every time the devil tempted him, he fought back and saying, the word of God says, Jesus did it. And so must we. And thus when we are under attack, when we are tempted and tested, when we are discouraged or feel condemned, we must draw out the words and the promises of God from the Bible to defend and fight our way back to victory. Amen. Amen. Number three, have assurance of who you are and what you have in Christ. You know, we must know Principally, 
and factually that we are precious in the eyes of God and deeply loved by Him. Now, why is this assurance so important for us? You know, assurance sets us free. It makes us patient in tribulation, calm in lost, unmoved in sorrow, not afraid of evil that comes. In every condition, we are content, for it gives us a fixedness of heart. All right? It sweetens the bitter things that come to us, lessens the burdens of our trials, smoothens the rough paths of our journey, enlightens the darkness of our suffering. It makes us always feel that we have something solid beneath our feet and something firm under our hands. A sure friend, by the way, and a sure home at the end. Number four, let us always be content and be grateful. You know, remember the grace and the mercy of God upon your life. Be thankful for all that you have and not focus on what you don't have. You know, don't compare where you are with those that are doing better than you. You know, recognize that you are exactly where God wants you to be at this season of your life. Look at where you are right now in spite of the trials, in spite of the testing, in spite of the difficulties, in spite of the difficulties. Look at where you are right now as a privilege to be tested and refined by God in spite of everything. Number five, anchor your faith in Him. You know, remember, God put you through the test and therefore you should come to God and depend on Him to get you through the test. Know that He who began a good work in you, within you, will continue His work until it is finally finished and that He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Number six, stay diligent. Remember, friends, remember church, God steers moving ships. Not those that are not moving. Alright, let me say that again. God steers moving ships. Not those that are not moving. You know, He can't do much if you stay stagnant. Therefore, don't get tired of doing what is good even when things are not good. You know, doing good means we keep working. We keep trying. We keep praying. We keep believing. We keep hoping. Because in due time, at the right time, God will give us a breakthrough if we don't give up. Lastly, number seven. But before that, let me have a drink first. Amen. Lastly, church, you've got to persevere. You've got to persevere. You know, God does His best work in our darkest hour. Just because God feels absent doesn't mean that He actually is. Just because you can't see His footprints doesn't mean that He's not walking beside you. You know, when Joseph in the Old Testament felt alone during his betrayal, abandonment, and also imprisonment, the Bible says over and over again, but the Lord was with Joseph. You know, God was there even in the betrayals and the darkness. And He was hard at work. Down in a dark well where His brothers had thrown Him, Joseph learned that God saves even out of desperate circumstances. You know, while a slave in Potiphar's house, he learned that God has, has equipped him to manage a large household. In prison, Joseph learned the organizational, organizational skills that he would one day need to save an entire nation from starvation. 
you know, through it all, God worked in him the patience and the compassion to forgive his brothers. And in his trials, Joseph gave us a picture of Jesus who would one day be falsely accused, who would one day be abused and killed because of our betrayal, yet rise to the throne to save us all. You know, it was in the wilderness that God taught Moses the all-surpassing value of his kingdom. It was in the wilderness that God imparted to David the skills necessary to fight Goliath and taught him the joy of knowing the Lord as his own shepherd. You know, and it was in the wilderness that God taught Paul to live his Christ and to die his Cain. And so church, God uses the wilderness to test us. You know, the Bible says, do not be surprised at a fiery ordeal that you are going through that is taking place among you to test you. This is what it says. Do not be surprised at a fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you. As though some strange thing is happening to you. You know, it tells us, don't be surprised. Don't think that it is strange. Why? Because they are used to test the quality of our faith. You know, I didn't create those words. The Bible said it. Let's read the Amplified Version. This is what it says. They are used to test the quality of our faith. You know, it is for our good. Because it produces perseverance. And when perseverance finishes its work, we will be mature and complete, lacking nothing. This is a very powerful word. Lacking nothing. We want to have everything. But God wants us to lack nothing. So we pursue and fight. We want everything fast and quick because we want everything. But God wants us to lack nothing. So when we are fast, God is slow. Amen? We want fast, but God is always slow so that we lack nothing. You know, these tests are meant to make us better, stronger, wiser. They are meant to help sustain our success so that we don't succeed fast and then crash just as quickly. Winnie's here. Yesterday during Compass, we discussed this issue. CK asked us the question. What is the question he asked? Let me, I, I, I hope I don't uh, frame it wrongly. He says, he asks us the question, you know, um, do you need God to succeed or not? Do you think you need God to succeed? Some raised their hand and said yes. A few of us said no. What do you think? Do you think you need God to succeed or not? How many of you think yes? How many of you think no? Dr. Andrew, right, says no. The truth of the matter is, we don't really need God to succeed. Just look at the Tower of Babel. You remember the story of the Tower of Babel, right? Man could bring, they, they wanted to build the tallest thing, the tallest building, 
or rather the TRX of last time, okay? TRX building, you know, that handphone thing, handphone building, you know. They wanted to build that. They wanted to, and they could do it, and God was impressed. There's nothing that man cannot do. And they could do it without God. So you can. We can succeed without God. But what is the difference? If you succeed without God, you will crash one day. And you will crash very quickly. But with God, you will sustain your success. That's the biggest difference. You know, so, the tests that God puts into our lives, although painful, they are meant to make us better, stronger, and wiser. They are meant to help sustain our success so that we don't succeed fast and then crash just as quickly. You know, when He puts us in a wilderness, when He puts you in a wilderness, don't assume that He has forgotten you. It is the wilderness that He is doing some of His best work in our lives. So if you are in a wilderness right now, if you are in a tough, a dry, a challenging, nothing happening, no breakthrough, no success, no promotion, no profit in your business, no recognition in what you do, kind of place in your life right now. Don't waste your wilderness. Don't waste it. Don't be despondent. Don't give up. But be confident. Be excited even. I know this doesn't make sense. Be excited. Be confident. It doesn't make sense. This is counter, you know, and opposite to what you're feeling at the moment. The Bible says rejoice. Be confident that he who began a work in you will bring it to completion. You know, it is a tremendous gift we have as Christians to be able to rejoice in tough times. To have peace in the midst of storms. To have faith when everything seems to be falling apart. You know, we can do this because we have Christ and His promises to anchor upon. And because He has already achieved the victory for us on the cross when He overcame death with the resurrection. Therefore, we can also have that resurrection power in us. Whatever place and season you are in right now, there is the victory and the power of the resurrection in your situation. You know, what seems dead now will come alive again. What seems lost now will be restored. What seems messed up and directionless now will come together for your good. Amen, amen. Friends, church, maybe you are in the wilderness today. You know, you are going through challenges in your life even though you work hard, you study hard, and you live right, you live righteously, you serve God faithfully. You question, why is this happening? Why are there still so many problems in my life? You know, you are weary and you are tired. You don't understand why and you don't see the purpose of it all. You ask God, aren't you supposed to protect me from all of this? Aren't you supposed to help me, heal me, deliver me, bless me somehow? Right? But where are you? Mana? Mana? 
Where? Where are you, God? Where? God is saying to you today, don't be surprised. Don't think it's strange. No, there is a purpose behind all of this. There's a purpose behind everything that I'm letting you go through. I am refining you and taking away those things in you that are not useful. Yes, it is painful, but I have a plan for you. A plan to prosper you, not to harm you. I'm doing this so that you can have success and sustain that success. I'm doing it so that you put your faith, your sense of worth, your significance, your security in me so that whatever happens in good or bad times, in success or failure, you will still have your hope, your joy and your peace. You know, two days ago, I was listening to Pastor Kong's sermon, you know, on um, Rested Soul, or no, I can't remember, it's the first part, all right? One of the things that he really struck me, he said, one of the points he said, to be detached. You know where the Bible says in Philippians, to live is Christ and to die, die is gain? It is telling us to learn how to be detached. A detachment. A detachment means you detach from what, happen, what happens in the world and your life and you attach your, your spirit and your soul to God so that whatever happens in good or in bad times, in success or failure, in sickness and in health, you will not lose your peace and your hope and your joy. And you will not lose your sense of security, your sense of worth, and your sense of significance. That is, mean, that is what it means when it says, when Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is King. You know what? When you have that detachment, it is then that you will have true joy and peace. And that is when you will lack nothing. You understand why I'm saying that? You understand what I mean? It is then that you will lack nothing. Because the fact of the matter is you can gain everything in the world and get everything in the world and you still think that you, you have nothing. Right? You can have everything in the world and you still feel that you don't have enough. But God says, so that you will lack nothing. You know, this morning, maybe some of you are tired and weary from all the tests that you're going through. You're tired. You're worried. Wearied. You are worried also. You are anxious. But I want you to be assured that the tests and the trials that you're going through in your life right now that God has a plan for your life. And therefore, don't find it strange. Don't find it strange, you know. Don't think, why is this happening? In a moment's time, I want us to stand up. Maybe we'll stand up now. Yeah, stand up. As we worship God this morning, I want you to surrender to God. To trust God with your life. To trust God. 
want you to raise up your hands and as you worship God, let the Holy Spirit strengthen you once again. Let the Holy Spirit strengthen you once again. You know, you might be tired, might be weary from all the tests and all the trials that is going through your life. But this morning, surrender to God. Trusting Him. Trust Him. Trust Him. Trust Him. Trust Him. Hallelujah. Let's worship God together.